Thank you for worshiping so well. Let's be seated and take our Bibles and turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 14. Kids, you are released. Thank you so much for being in here and singing with us. We're going to study an interesting event that takes place in David's life and serves as an instruction to us about how to know the voice of God. There's a phrase that we tend to use as Christians that is easy to misuse. And we don't misuse it because we're necessarily bad or we're trying to do something devious. We misuse it sometimes because we don't always understand what it means or how the Lord works through it. The phrase in some form is something to the effect of, I heard from the Lord, or the Lord spoke to me, or the Lord told me this. Now many times when we say that, It's true. Many times when we say that, we've sought the Lord, we've studied His Word, and and He's spoken to us by His Spirit. That doesn't, don't don't dismiss that now at the start, like that's some kind of mystical, weird thing that we're talking about. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit impressing something on our heart that we hear from His Word or from prayer. Many times when we use that phrase, it's genuine. We've heard something from the Lord. The Lord has led us, the Lord's impressed us. And we're usually well-intentioned when we use it, but we also have to guard against those times when we use it kind of as a code for believing that God's approved something that He hasn't necessarily approved. For saying, well, the Lord told me this, or the Lord led me to do this, or, or I heard from the Lord and He told me this. And it's not really genuine. It's not really something that we've actually discerned from Him. It's something that we hope He will approve once we get it out of our mouth. Now, our struggle against self is always stronger than we think. And it's easy for us to be tempted into making statements that sound spiritual, but are actually self-serving. Where we say something, we think it sounds right. Boy, somebody was impressed because I sounded really spiritual just then. Ever dealt with that? Don't raise your hands. You have. Trust me. But it's actually for our benefit. It's actually to draw attention to ourselves. Now, if we're walking faithfully with the Lord and we've submitted ourselves to His Spirit and we're diligently seeking His face, the effectiveness of that temptation is nullified. Because if we're truly hearing from the Lord, we're truly walking with the Lord, then the temptation to make a spiritual self-serving sentence will not be as effective as it would be if we are living for ourselves. But the enemy is going to keep pushing it. He's going to keep pressing us because he wants us to be confused without knowing we're confused. He wants us to be distorted in our thinking and to make assumptions about God's leading that aren't accurate. And and actually, the net effect of that is to cause damage to the body, cause damage to other people, to confuse people that don't know the Lord, and to hurt the cause of Christ. So we always have to be on guard, and we always have to make sure that if we're going to speak for the Lord, and believe me, as somebody that preaches, this is the greatest struggle and the greatest temptation for any pastor. If we're going to get up here and speak for the Lord, or if you and your conversations or your witnessing are going to say, I'm speaking for the Lord and declare that He's leading in a certain way, then 
we have to be absolutely crystal clear certain that it is the Lord who has spoken to us and the Lord who has led us. Because how will it look if we say something that the Lord's led us and God doesn't bless it? How will it look if we say, well, God, I heard from the Lord and and the Lord led me this way and then it doesn't pan out. That undermines the credibility of God's word to people who are spiritually skeptical. Because they're going to be looking to us. Well, you heard from the Lord, you walk with the Lord, and you go to church, and you study your Bible, and you pray, and you seem to have a different life. So, so you tell me you heard from the Lord, but, but what you said didn't, didn't really happen. And it also undermines the credibility of the gospel. It makes us look like spiritual schizophrenics, like we have two voices in our head, and neither one's really making a lot of sense. Now, this is important because walking by faith, this is a critical part of walking by faith. Hearing from the Lord, knowing how the Spirit is moving, knowing how we are supposed to proceed, knowing what the Lord has called us to do, being able to discern the Spirit's voice, knowing with confidence that God is the one speaking. Listen, the enemy is deceptive. How many know that's true this morning? And he is not in any way adverse to taking Scripture and twisting it for his own benefit. So he'll think of nothing of presenting himself as our spiritual counselor, trying to block our attention and and mute our ears from hearing the Word of God. He'll come along as an angel of light and he'll say, well, I think the Lord's leading you to do this. And we kind of say, hmm, that's interesting. And meanwhile, he's twisting Scripture and manipulating our mind and attacking our pride, and he's trying to make it seem like he's speaking for the Lord because he's been in the presence of the Lord. He knows how the Lord speaks. He can read the Bible. He knows how God works. So he certainly can take Scripture and twist it and manipulate it to make us think it's the Lord speaking. And that often happens at very crucial times in our lives when we are in need of undeniable direction from the Lord but we find ourselves kind of wondering, what's the Lord doing? What's the next step? Now, that's where David is in 1 Chronicles chapter 14. Thank you for turning. Right at the outset of his reign as king, his kingdom is being threatened, and his desire for discernment has been tested. He's been on the run for about a decade from Saul with the whole mess that was Saul. Saul was jealous. David had the anointing of God on his lives. As life, he had the kingdom promised to him, but now through all the different ways that God worked, Saul now is dead, and David's faith and perseverance has been rewarded, and he has great days ahead. But just as he's kind of starting to settle into the throne, he faces a major, major challenge. Look at it starting in verse 2. David realized that the Lord established him as king over Israel, and that his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people Israel. Go down to verse 8. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up in search of David, and David heard of it and went out against them. Now the Philistines had come and made a raid in the valley of Rephaim. David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines, and will you give them into my hand? Then the Lord said to him, Go up. For I will give them into your hand. Verse 11. So they came up to Balperazim. 
And David defeated them there. And God said, excuse me, David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like the breakthrough of waters. Therefore, they named that place Baal-perazim. They abandoned their gods there. So David gave the order and they were burned with fire. The Philistines made yet another raid in the valley. And David inquired again of the Lord. And God said to him, you will not go up after them. Circle around behind them and come at them in the front of the balsam trees. It shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees that you shall go out to battle. For God will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. David did just that as God commanded him. And they struck down the army of the Philistines from Gibeon even as far as Gezer. Therefore, the fame of David went out from all the lands and the Lord brought the fear of him onto all the nations. Now, David's been nothing but faithful to the Lord. He's served the Lord. He's sought the Lord. He's been a man after God's heart. He's been used of the Lord. He's waited patiently on the Lord. He's defended the name of the Lord in unusual circumstances. So we might assume that the Lord's going to give him some time to breathe. Right? He comes on the throne. We've had a decade of mess with Saul. David's been nothing but faithful. Finally, he's on the throne. You think, finally, okay, now we're settled. Let's, let's just let's rest for a while. No. He's barely in power. He's barely on the throne. And the Philistines come to cause some havoc. Now, that was a two-pronged strategy. First of all, they're thinking, let's get him while he's not paying attention. Let's get him during the transition of leadership while he's worried about kind of pulling the nation together and he'll probably go for something spiritual. So let's attack while he's not thinking, while he's not expecting it. They come and they make this attack. I think there's also a personal element. I think they're still ticked about Goliath. They're still irritated that this little kid who took on their nine-foot giant when Saul and the others were cowering in the tents that, that this little kid ran up with a slingshot and killed their best giant and Israel defeated the Philistines. So there's still a rub there. There's still a burr under the saddle that they're irritated that this kid who's now a man did this. You know, that happens sometimes, doesn't it? We're going along smooth and we think we've passed the problem and then it keeps coming back and annoying us. And we have to be very careful during those times that we don't get distracted or bitter about it, but that we just keep asking the Lord, Lord, stand by me and lead me in a new direction. See, the blessing of the Lord doesn't guarantee that we're going to be free of problems. In fact, just the opposite. The blessing of the Lord usually means that the enemy is going to escalate its opposition. Doesn't mean, oh, peace and safety and nothing, no problems. Now that I'm saved, now that I'm walking with the Lord, I'm never going to have a problem. Anybody not have any problems this week? I don't know about you. I had quite a few. It wasn't just all relaxing vacation with the Lord, right? Because the enemy doesn't like us walking with the Lord. So he goes after us. And that may be hard to reconcile in our hearts and minds because it would seem to us that the Lord would want to spare us more difficulty. But one of the ways that he stirs us and gets us to not feel complacent and entitled is to keep seeking him fervently because we're in a situation where we have to seek him. 
And that's vital for us to remember so we don't get surprised or caught off guard when spiritual attacks come. Listen, not one person that's walking with the Lord should be surprised that they're going to get hit. Now, one person who's walking with the Lord, seeking the Lord, should be surprised that somebody is going to oppose that. There's going to be a spiritual attack. The enemy's not just going to sit idly by while we grow in the Lord. When our faith starts to explode and we start to praise God and we start to honor Him, I'm going to get involved in service. I'm going to reach people for Christ. I'm going to, I'm going to grow in the Lord. The enemy's not going to go, wow, that is so wonderful for you. That's, that's great. He's going to create division and create confusion, and create doubt, and as people get saved, which they are, and as people get baptized, which they have, what a wonderful thing that's been in the last month, and as people get on fire for the Lord, guess what? That threatens the enemy's kingdom. So he says, I'm not putting up with that. We can expect it to happen. And as we pray more, and as we seek the Lord fervently as people and as a church, He knows that power that's unleashed when God's people call on the Lord. Oh, there's so much power that's unleashed when we call on the Lord. And he's going to fight that. Now, knowing that he's deceptive, because we don't want to talk about him this morning. Knowing that he's deceptive and knowing he'll oppose us as we seek the Lord's discernment and leading. The key question then becomes, how do we know when it's the Lord speaking? How do we know when it's the Lord speaking? We've got to know that it's the Lord because we don't want to listen to a lying fraud. And we've got to know it's the Lord because we don't want to move forward in our strength, what an oxymoron that sentence is, and our wisdom, even more ironic. It's not our strength and our wisdom and our plan that always fails. So we need to hear from the Lord. We need to know what the Lord's telling us. Now look back at the text and notice what David does. Knowing he has the Lord's presence, knowing he has the Lord's strength and anointing on him and the nation, he does what he did with Goliath. He doesn't stand back and say, come on. Instead, he runs toward the threat. How many are that bold in their faith? When Goliath stood there and mocked God and defiled the name of God, David said, "Uh uh-uh, you're not doing that with my Lord, and he ran toward Goliath. Now again, the Philistines are there, and he says, I'm going to go up. I want to go toward them. I'm not going to wait for them to come 10 miles and ransack Jerusalem. I'm going toward them. When they raid Rephraim, David knows they're not going to stop. So look at verse 10. He inquires of the Lord. And he asked two things. Lord, should I go up and engage? And second, if I do that, will you give me victory? Now, David could have taken a very different approach, one that would have made a lot of sense and would have been very familiar to us. He could have reasoned in his heart, well, God will provide. He did before with the lion and the bear. He did before with Goliath. He did before with Saul. He will again. He could have reasoned that God will just work. Or he could have been confident. God, you'll protect your people. You've given us promises. You put me on the throne. You're not going to put me on the throne now to just leave me hanging. You've promised me an everlasting kingdom. So, Lord, you you have to do that. And that actually could have bred a little bit of arrogance. Like, God, you have to. 
Come on, you said in your word. You gave me a covenant. You told me my kingdom's everlasting. So, Lord, come on, come through. There could have been bred a little bit of little bit of expectation, a little bit of arrogance there that there's no way God's going to let him fail. So he could have gone into battle, look at verse 10, with an assumed spiritual confidence, blindly believing that God has to help certain of his own strength and his own sufficiency, sure that he and Israel would destroy the Philistines. But I want you to look very closely at what he does in verse 10. He assumes nothing. He assumes nothing. He waits and he asks for God's clear leading. And look how the Lord answers. Yes. Go up. Defeat them. I'll give them to you. So they go to the valley and Israel is blessed by God and they win convincingly. But the Philistines aren't done. In verse 13, they come back again. Now, I want you to see, because this is the key part of the, of the account, David, in verse 13, again, doesn't assume. He doesn't say, well, the last time they attacked, I inquired of the Lord. The Lord said, go up and engage, and I'll give you the victory. So I think that promise still applies. I think the statute of limitations on the word of God has not run out yet. So... Second time, we're good. Israel, got it. No problem. Hugs and kisses. We got this. Verse 14, look at it. It said, he inquires again of the Lord. And God gives him a new plan. Now, before we look at that part, think about what David's doing. It's very simple, but we need to get it this morning. The whole intent of his prayer is to say to the Lord, I do not want to move forward without submitting myself to your will. I do not want to do anything. I will not move forward, Lord. This is not an ultimatum. This is a statement of faith. I will not move forward until I submit myself to your will. And I am in that position where I cannot do anything without your help. Now, don't be caught up in the conclusion that he's trying to guarantee himself a victory by saying, come on, God, you got to tell me we're going to win here. That's not what he's doing. The prayer is not that self-serving. What he is saying is, Lord, I need affirmation that you are speaking. I need affirmation that we're supposed to take this next step and that I have your provision if I do so. Look at the specificity of his prayer. It's not just, Lord, what should we do? How many times do we pray like that? Lord, I don't know what to do. Help me. Give me something. Throw up a red flag. Put a wall, you know, put a writing on the wall. Do something. I don't know. Just help me. Now, help me is a great prayer. But what should I do is not a great prayer. Because it just is so open-ended. And, and here David says, Lord, should I go? Should I do this? And if I do it, will you deliver me? You see, too often our prayers are very general. And I think it's because our faith isn't all that confident. Confident. 
So we kind of, kind of equivocate spiritually. We pray with some kind of hope that God will hear us, but, but we've got enough vagueness and enough latitude that if God doesn't answer the prayer, we're not very disappointed. Ever prayed like that? Oh, Lord, I don't know what to do, so kind of give me a sign, and I'm not really expecting very much, but hopefully you'll show me something through your word, or somebody will come along and say something that will help me know something or something. Just, just something, Lord, just help me. Just give me some direction. Hebrews doesn't tell us to pray like that. What's it say? Boldly approach the throne of grace. Let your requests be made known unto the Lord. Pray confident. Pray with detail. Pray in a way that when he answers, that it will be most beneficial to our maturity and to his glory. And this is one of the ways that we can discern his voice because the more sure our faith is and the more specific our request is, the easier it will be to know that he's answered. If you just pray, Lord, show me something, you know what the enemy's doing? He's going, I'll show you a lot of things. I'll mess with your head. I'll confuse you. I'll throw scripture at you. I'll bring along somebody that seems really well-intentioned, but will steer you in exactly the wrong direction, and you'll never know it. But when you pray, Lord, should I go? Lord, should I do this? Lord, are you going to be there to bless me? Then when God answers or says no, then we know. See, David prays twice for God's leading. And it's the second time that intrigues me the most. When the Philistines attack again after the first victory, it would be very easy for David to presume that the God's favor still applies, that recent success guarantees future success. Proverbs 3 tells us, though, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. In other words, don't just assume because God worked 30 minutes ago that he's going to answer the same prayer just as you prayed it. They say, well, I'll be praying all the time. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Well, I'm gonna, i got to ask God for everything? Uh-huh, yeah, you do. And I do. Because otherwise it becomes our power. Otherwise it becomes our wisdom. Each time, in each situation, we need to yield to the Lord in a fresh way and say, Lord, show me the right way. This is the model of prayer, and David follows it. Look at it. He makes no assumptions. He just waits to hear from the Lord about what he should do next, and the Lord answers him. Now, we might feel a little jealous at this point. We might say, well, it seems like the text says here that God answers directly to David. Maybe not in the tent of meeting kind of way where Moses came and the presence got filled. But, but it seems like this is audible. And, and how much better would it be, how much easier would it be for me to walk by faith if the Lord just spoke out loud to me? How, how much better would it be? I wouldn't have to learn how to discern his voice. It would be so much easier and if God would just speak audibly to me, maybe you don't take it this far, but it's in our heads. If God would just speak out loud to me, I would really know how to trust. How did that work for the Israelites? Because God spoke directly to them. 
when they were building the golden calf, they heard the voice from Sinai. The clouds are surrounding the mountain, and Moses is up there. His face is shining because he's in the presence of God. And it says the voice of God was heard by the people, and they're still going, here, Aaron, take our rings. Build us a God. Before we start to feel sorry for ourselves, because I don't know if I've ever seen evidence in 2011 that God speaks audibly to people, I mean out loud like I am to you. But before we start to feel sorry for ourselves, we need to remember that we have two things that even David didn't have. In your hands, you have the living word of God that every single day we can go to and we can see the complete revelation of God and God can speak to us. David did not have that. He did not have the word of God each day to hold his hands. How much would he have eaten that up? How much would he have sat in the wilderness and go, I got the word of God complete. Are you kidding me? I'm going to read this like crazy. And we also have God speaking to us through his spirit. And David, for all intents and purposes, did not have the spirit of God on his life like we have him. It's hard to argue that he had a superior situation. We can constantly go through God's word for instruction and we can examine the details of his promises and we can look at past circumstances and how God worked and how people reacted and how God moved and we can get constant encouragement. And then the spirit who's residing in us, what an amazing statement that is, don't take that for granted. The spirit of God's residing in us and he's given us the unbreakable promise that he will teach us from the word that he inspired people to write that he will show us the path of life, that he will lead us into righteousness, and that with our transformed, renewed mind, he will give us the power and strength to know the clear leading of God. It is actually hard to con not to conclude that we have a superior situation. I think we're in a better position to have what we have than to audibly hear the voice of God. Now, you might argue with that, and that's fine. But I'm telling you, there's example after example after example after example in the Old Testament of people that heard directly from God and turned their backs on Him. Aren't you so glad for that Bible in your hands? Aren't you so glad the Holy Spirit fills us every day? The Word assures us that God loves our prayers. He welcomes our calls he opened that curtain. Jesus opened that curtain when he died. So we don't need a mediator. We don't need somebody to intercede for us. He intercedes for us. He's our access and our advocate. And one of the greatest truths we can hear this morning is that five-word phrase in verses 10 and 14 where it says, And the Lord answered him. It does not get any better than that. What a sentence to find strength in this morning that when we call, God answers. What a source of confidence that the Heavenly Father loves us and He loves to hear from us and He loves to answer when he call, we call because He is a gracious and loving and patient and kind and merciful God. He's not indifferent to your prayer. He's not sitting there going, come on, impress me. He's looking for sincerity of heart. Call on me and I will answer. It's such a simple promise, but such a strong promise. And that answer is not 
passive, semi-interested. Hey, they're calling on me again. I'm kind of busy. I got other things to worry about, the earthquakes and floods and people dying of famine. I'm too busy to deal with Rhodes' prayer today. Eh, he'll pray again, maybe. Wasn't important anyway. Asking for piddly little stuff like he always does. You think God ever speaks that way? You ever deal with your kids that way? Dad, I need something. I don't care. I'm not interested. It's not important. Quit bothering me. Okay, sometimes we say quit bothering me. But we're not perfect. God never, ever says, don't bother me. When you call, I'll answer. Oh, I delight to hear the praise of my people. I can't wait. Not because he's weak. Not because he's insufficient. Not because he's needy. Just because he loves us. Look at verse 11 to see how the Lord responds. So they came up to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like the breakthrough of waters. Then they named that place Baal-perazim. After the first victory, David's again reminded of the amazing power and sufficiency of the God. So he names the place in a way that will always remind him and us of how the Lord works. He calls it Baal-perazim. It literally means the Lord of the breaks. Or as David explains it, God has broken through like the breakthrough of waters. I don't know if you saw the video footage of those floods that came out of Irene. Vermont, New Hampshire, New York. They're just a mess. A dam broke Geboa Dam in upstate New York, and a whole town was flooded just instantly. Prattsville, New York, they said we had about 20 minutes once we heard the dam broke, and then the town was underwater. Power of the water is amazing. Cars just cartwheeling through towns. Mud infiltrating houses. 140-year-old covered bridges just falling like a Jenga. I mean, just... What a small microcosm. What a small picture of verse 11. Balperazim. Listen, when the power of God breaks through in our lives and he moves to defeat our enemies and moves to defeat the devil and he moves in our life in powerful ways, it is undeniable because we worship the true living God and he is the same God today as he was in First Chronicles 14. He's the same God who's waiting with the same breakout power to work in the lives of people that are seeking him and calling on him and desiring to walk with him. He says, I will work in a powerful Balperazim breakout way in your life. And the only way we should ever move forward is with his affirmation and his direction. The Philistines come a second time, and David doesn't assume. He says, got to go back to the Lord. Lord, what now? Am I supposed to go up again? Notice the chapter doesn't detail the prayer. We have to kind of assume between the lines that David probably prayed the same way. Lord, should I go up? And if I go, will you give me victory? 
God says, no, the plan's changed. The first time you went up and you took the victory. Now the plan's different. I want you to attack from behind. Don't go right at them this time. How would David have known that if he didn't pray? Go around behind and stand beneath the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching, how cool is that? When the wind blows through my trees and you hear, that's when you go. And If you do it my way, I will give you victory. Here's how you'll know, because the Lord will go before you. Oh, I don't know about you, but I want the Lord to go before my life. Why did the plan change, though? Why, why does God do it differently? It would have been really easy for him just to say, no, go the same way. You're good, David. If it worked once, why make it more complex? It's a very simple spiritual principle. God often changes the plan to remind us that we need to keep seeking him. If he just kept doing it the same way each time, guess what we do? I don't need to pray. I know what God's going to do. It's interesting that David went back to the Lord because we're so quick to forget and we're so quick to assume and we're so quick to go back to our own plan instead of making sure not to go forward without the clear leading of the Lord. But, but here's the question. Are we asking? Are we inquiring? And when God answers, will we be able to discern his voice of leading? I want to close this morning by just giving you a couple things, a couple standards that have to be met for us to know the voice of the Lord. We're going to look at some of these more fully. I'm going to start, Lord willing, a series in the book of Acts next week. And we're going to lay this out more. We're going to learn more about calling on the Lord and how the Lord speaks. But this morning, can I just give you, and I encourage you to maybe write these down or just kind of think through them, four standards that have to be met. Now, there are many ways we recognize the voice of the Lord, but we can be absolutely confident that if all four of these are being met, because the enemy would never promote any of them, let alone all four. If all four of these are being met, then we know that it's the Lord speaking. First of all, the Lord speaks to us when we call on him in prayer. I know it's simple, but think through it. The Lord speaks to us when we call on him in prayer, especially when we ask for godly wisdom. Jeremiah 33.3, many of us know it, says, Call to me and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which, we, which you do not know. We don't know what the plan of the Lord is. Some people ask me, what's the vision of the church? Where are we headed in five years? And my answer is, I have no clue. I will seek the Lord. We will seek the Lord. We will follow what he tells us to do. It, it is not up to me or up to anybody else to say, well, we've got to be strategic and do this and do this and this. It doesn't mean we won't plan. It means we're not going to say, this is what we're going to do and, and leave the Lord out of the process. It's his vision. It's his church. Call on me and I will answer you. And I'm going to tell you all the great and mighty things that I'm going to do that you have no clue about. That's the paraphrase. Rhodes, you don't have a clue. Harbor Rock, you don't have a clue. Now, but if you call on me, I'll tell you. So while we don't have a clue, we have to be careful that sin and self doesn't hinder our discernment. We constantly need a fresh flow of spiritual insight. So James 1.5 tells us, 
if any of you lack wisdom, that's me. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of the Lord who will give it generously. How many want generous wisdom from the Lord this morning? I'll give it, the King James says, liberally. Oh, there's going to be so much you can't take it. But don't ask me kind of equivocating. Well, I hope the Lord will give me some wisdom because I don't know what I'm doing. Ha ha. No, that's not that. That's not how we pray. Lord, I don't know. I'm just a broken, worthless person that you've redeemed. Lead me. Give me wisdom that I don't have. Show me the right path. Teach me the way of righteousness. Give me a sense of how you want me to walk. And Lord, when I do, and when you give me that, I will walk faithfully. When we pray like that, not wavering, not like the waves of the ocean that go back and forth. When we pray like that, you know what God does? I got so much wisdom for you, you won't even be able to take it. Your head's not big enough. That's not my words. That's James 1.5. Don't doubt now. Come on, don't doubt. I'll give you generous amounts of wisdom, but here's what you have to do. You have to ask Jesus said in Matthew 7, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts for your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? I love spoiling my kids. I love buying stuff for my kids. God wants to do abundantly more. Exponentially to the point that we can't count it. Not because He wants to spoil us, but because He wants to remind us that those who seek the Lord have hearts that rejoice with everlasting joy. Second, if it's not supported by the word of God, it is not the Lord speaking to us. If it is not supported by the word of God, it is not the Lord speaking to us. The Lord never contradicts himself, so he is not going to tell us something that is inconsistent with what Scripture says. This is why it is so vital for us to be mature students of God's Word. Because we have to be able to discern whether something that presents itself as truth is really of the Lord. 1 John 4 says, Believe not every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because there are many false prophets that are wandering around the world. And this is how we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. In other words, the test, the distinguishing factor of the word of the Lord is that it matches up with the word of the Lord. Christ is the word. He is the word of God. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. And the gospel is the message of the word. So if the word is being challenged or being disputed or we're being led to act in any way that conflicts with the word of God, Get away from it. It's not of the Lord. It has to match up with Scripture. It has to match up with how God works. And it has to ultimately defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't, we better stay away from it. Third, God will never lead us to dishonor Him in any way. He will never lead us to dishonor Him in any way. That mitigates against any reasoning that the Lord approves my sin and rebellion. 
or that he's freed me. I love this. He's freed me to bring shame to the gospel. I've had people sit in my office over the last 25 years who defend themselves and justify their sin by saying, I've never been happier. And then I get the next phrase that I love so much. God just wants me to be happy. And I say to them, first of all, it's not about you. And second of all, the Lord is never, ever, ever, ever going to bless anything that dishonors his name. How would he approve of that? It's unthinkable that somebody could come to that conclusion, but that's how sin distorts our minds. And before we shake our heads, oh, I can't believe somebody would think that way. Think how many times you and I have reasoned that we had a right to commit that sin at that time and that God would just look the other way. Dishonoring him may not be obvious, but as believers, believers we should be definitely wise and spirit-filled enough to know when we're doing something that isn't bringing glory to the Lord. If, if you hear a voice that's leading you to dishonor the Lord, you get away from it. Because God will never tell you to do something that would bring shame. Fourth and finally, when the Lord speaks to us, it almost always stretches our faith to new levels. I hear the laughter. I know you know that one's true, right? Every time you open the word of God, God wants to do a work of change. Every time we open scripture, God's saying, you ready? Because I want to teach you and I want to conform you to me. Every time we pray, he's going to convict us. That's why it's always important to praise him and confess before we start running off our list of, of desires. Because he wants to convict us and draw us to humbleness and to brokenness. And then he says, now you come close to me. I'm not going to take impurity close to me. You confess, you get close to me. Every time he gives us a trial, he's stripping us of self-sufficiency and saying, I want you to be more complete. Every time he blesses us, he wants to remind us, I am faithful. There is no one else that is worthy of your trust. And I will work in your life. Listen. The enemy never wants to stretch your faith. Ever. Because faith is what pleases the Lord. Because it causes us to be independent of Him. So the enemy is never going to tempt you to trust God more. He's always going to tempt you to trust God less. We're done. The Lord is the God of Balperazim. He's the God who breaks through. I fully believe he wants to break through in your life and my life, and I believe he wants to break through in this church. So let me close two minutes, one minute. I know, the laughter. Let me tell you how I believe the Lord's leading us, and then we're going to pray about it. God has opened up the opportunity for us, based on some cost increases where we were for Awana, to, to potentially occupy the building where we had VBS. He's worked it out in terms of finances. He's worked it out in terms of renovation. And we believe at this point that God may be leading us to be in that building full-time for the next maybe year, year and a half. So it would be a place of ministry. It would be a place of prayer. It would be a place where we'd have our offices. It would be a lot of things. But it would give us as a church a permanent space. Now, we don't want to move forward on this 
without asking God, do you want us to go forward? And if we do go forward, are you going to bless it? Because if you're not, we're not going. It'll require some cost. It'll require some renovation. It'll require the church body coming together and helping. But imagine the witness that we can have in a place where there are neighborhoods all around us. We saw that with VBS, didn't we? And many of you came up to us during VBS and said, why why can't we get this building? And at the time, we couldn't. But the Lord keeps working step after step after step after step. So I would like us this morning, even though we're probably not going to hear the sound of marching in the trees, but maybe at the park we will. Who knows? But we want to ask the Lord this morning for affirmation. We want to ask the Lord by His Holy Spirit whether we're supposed to move forward or not. I'm giving you short details, but that's what we need to know. So here's how I'd like for us to close our service. I'd like us to bow our heads. And as I pray for us, I would like you just silently to be praying along with me and to call on the Lord. Lord, break through for us. Lead us now. Father, we ask you, knowing your faithfulness and knowing your love and knowing that your guidance is so pure and so wonderful, knowing that we are helpless and weak and far from wise. Lord, we ask you this morning for wisdom. We ask you for direction. Lord, whether we should go forward, it seems like a small thing maybe to some, maybe it doesn't. But Lord, we don't want to presume your blessing. We want to ask you for your blessing. So Lord, we pray this morning as a church that you would guide us and direct us. As we have since this church started nine months ago, we ask you to lead us. We ask you to show us the path for you to lay out the plans of what we should do. Because Lord, when it's our plans, it'll always fail. So Lord, we pray that you would confirm to us in the next few days what you would have us to do. And we pray that if this is what you would desire, that you would give us confidence and give us even more evidence that you were at work. Lord, you've been so faithful to do that. Father, we thank you as always for your sufficiency and your leading. We pray as a church now that we would call on your name, that we would seek your face, not just about this decision, but in every way, every single morning, every night, calling on you, seeking you. Because, Lord, you tell us in Jeremiah that when we call, you'll answer and you'll show us great and wonderful things that we can't even imagine. So, Lord, we seek you this morning. We ask you. We praise you for what you have done. We praise you for what you are about to do. We thank you for the confidence that we have boldly approaching the throne of grace, making our request known. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you so much for who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.